As we come back together, you can um, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We will continue working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, which is contained in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be focusing this morning on verses 13 through 16. And uh, I am going to read beginning in verse 1 for continuity's sake down to verse 16. If you'd like to follow along. Matthew chapter 5. And seeing the multitudes, Jesus went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Lord, would you add your blessing to the reading of your word. And may you teach us this morning, may our hearts be humble. May we, right now, Lord, as we open our hearts to your word, just take a moment and, and confess and just say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Lord, anything that I've not confessed or kept a short account with you on, I, I take a moment right now to do that uh, because it's the right thing to do, because I want to hear your voice this morning as you speak to me through your word. May you give us this day our daily bread. And may we look to you today to be our God, our King, our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are in this study called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Of the five discourses that Matthew records of our Lord Jesus, this is the longest. And last week as we looked at the first part here, verses 1 through 12, known as the Beatitudes or the Blessings, Um, Just to briefly review with you as Jesus was speaking to the people, he used that word blessed. And that word blessed means that they are blessed beyond measure. Uh, Not just the people he's speaking to. Now remember, he's speaking to us. Down through the 2,000 years or so since he uttered these words, he's speaking these words to us as well. Blessed are the poor in spirit, talking about humility. And he says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Just a reminder that if we want to walk with God and if we want to know the Lord, if we want to hear his voice, we have to be 
humble people, people who bow before him. Uh, We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. He's the shepherd. There are many um, analogies used in Scripture to help us remember that. Jesus said in John 10, I am the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice. How do we hear his voice? Through the, the position of humility, of knowing who we are before the Lord. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. We talked about mourning as understanding uh, mourning over our sin, uh, being sorry for our sin, understanding that we, we need to have repentance before the Lord for our sin and keep a short account with him. And he says, for they shall be comforted. God will comfort us in our sin. You know, on this side of heaven, we wrestle with sin until the day that we die or go to be with the Lord or whether he raptures us, if we are blessed to live to that moment and to be caught up with him in the air. Until then, we struggle with sin. And as we struggle with sin, you know, we grieve, we mourn over our sin. We alluded last week to Romans chapter 7, where Paul talked about how the, the, the good things he desires to do, the things of the Lord, he does not do. And he finds this principle of evil within him, uh, within himself that he struggles with. And he says, uh, you know, who shall rescue me from the body of this death? And he says, thanks be to the Lord. And then blessed are the meek. And we talk about meek being strength under control. Meek is not uh, equated with being weak. And so blessed uh, are they, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We We talked about our desire for the things of God, our desire to know the Lord. And it says, for they shall be filled. Uh, We looked at some of the scriptures that talk about if you seek for the Lord with your whole heart, then then you will find him and he will reveal himself to you. And then uh, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Uh, I'm merciful to other people because I desire mercy. Chapter 4, Paul said, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. You see, saltiness can be exhibited through our speech, right? You see, if you and I as believers, we go out in the world and we talk like the world, if we use the language of the world, if we swear, if we use innuendo, if our language is not pure, remember, here's the issue. Jesus is going to get to this. We'll deal with it as we go through the book of Matthew. He said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So right away, we know the issue is in the heart. And yet here, Paul says, in agreement with Jesus, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how, how you ought to answer each one. In fact, he says something very similar in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, where he says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for edification, excuse me, for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. So one of the ways that we can be salty to the world around us is in our speech. It's how we talk, how we communicate. And remember, communication is like 93% nonverbal, right? Our tone, our body language is all a part of our communication. Only 7%, according to the experts, is actually verbal. So 
what does our saltiness to the world look like in our communication? That's a question for us to ponder and pray about. When we are in a place in the world where we're obviously, and this has happened to me, it's probably happened to many of you, you're on a business trip, you go out with some people, they're like, hey, let's go to dinner tonight. Okay, great, let's go, go to dinner. And the first thing you do, you sit down, everybody orders, they start ordering the rounds of drinks and all of that. You know, do you jump in? Or do you drink water? You know, what do you do? How do you handle these things? And then what's our response when they say, oh, you're not going to have a glass of wine with us? You're not going to have a Jack Daniels with us? What's, how come you're not drinking? How come you're drinking water with lemon? What's up with that? What's your response? He said here that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Remember, Peter wrote that we ought to always be ready to give an account for the hope that's within us. You see, the whole idea here is not that we're trying to be someone that we're not, but actually that we're trying to be someone that we are. And the saltiness should flow forth from our lives because that's who we are. We are the people of God. We are the people of the Word of God. We are the people who have the Holy Spirit. The people we're sitting at the table with don't have the Holy Spirit. And hopefully, by God's grace, there's a witness within me welling up that they can see, that they can observe. And often, of course, this takes time. Sometimes relationships, it just takes time for them to see, okay, you don't swear when you hit your thumb with the hammer and, you know, you're not out drinking and and going out. And, you know, I've been on trips where people are like, hey, we finished the meal. Now we're going to head down to the pub or to whatever. And I'm like, you know what? I'm all set. See you guys tomorrow. I'm going back to the hotel and get some sleep. I've been with people who stayed out till two and three in the morning. And they come in the next morning at work, you're on the business trip, and they're just toast. How do we deal with that? Someone said this with respect to our saltiness. We lose our influence, the influence of being a believer, the influence of the church, really. We lose our saltiness when we compromise on the truth of God's word. When we choose to make it palatable, when we choose to soften it, And to make it say something that it doesn't say, you know, sometimes we have difficulty, don't we? With the truth of God's word. Sometimes it does sting when it says what it says. If we try to water down the word of God and to make it acceptable, then we are losing or have lost sight of our first love and of our passion for Jesus. You see, the truly salty person is the person who's truly in love with our Lord Jesus. When we elevate a man or a program above the word of God and the work of his Holy Spirit, we have lost our saltiness. So many people today in the church, capital C at large, they go to a church because of the man, because of the pastor, because of the hipness or the coolness, or because of the programs. You know, I hope that we are in a church wherever we are today because The Lord is there because the Holy Spirit is present, because the word of God is honored and preached and taught. We lose our saltiness when we become like the world in order to win the world. You know, we can't compromise on our method. The truth never changed. Yes, the methods can change with respect to how we reach out to people, but we can't compromise by becoming like the world in the way that we uh, try to reach out to people. 
when the church becomes carnal in its body life and in its operation, we lose our saltiness, we lose our influence, and in effect, we lose our witness. When we try to do the work of the Spirit with the effort of the flesh, we lose our influence. When we isolate ourselves from the church, we lose our influence because the Lord says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the habit of some, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. And when we isolate ourselves from the world, we lose our saltiness. Why? Because that's where our saltiness should be exhibited. We should infiltrate the world. We are not of the world, but we are to be in the world. When we care more about ourselves and our own lives than we do about a lost and a dying world, we have lost our saltiness, our influence. And the Lord, of course, wants us to be salty. He wants us to have influence on the world. I remember a night going back a few years, and this came after I had uh, spent two years uh, working for a local Starbucks. This was in between 2012 and 2014 um, when I was tried to pastor full-time and, you know, just get out of the work world. Um, and so I ended up, by God's grace, working in a, in a place where God gave me relationships with, you know, everybody I've worked with except one were, were unbelievers. And, of course, they were all people of the world and had their various stories. There were gay and lesbian people and all of that. And, uh, you know, the Lord puts us there that we might love them, that we might show them the love of Christ. And uh, through, there's, there's many stories I could tell you, but there was one night, and this was after I had uh, left uh, Starbucks and gone back into the work world. I remember it distinctly because it was around 10 o'clock on a Thursday night. And uh, you have the phone numbers of all the people you work with in case you need to get someone to to cover a shift. So my phone rang. I thought it's odd, 10 o'clock on Thursday night, my phone's ringing. I looked down, it's one of the ladies I used to work with. She called me to say that one of the other co-workers whom I used to work with, um, her brother, that morning, they just, he didn't come down for breakfast. And finally, around 10 a.m., they went up, they're like, you know, what's going on? And they opened the door and he just died. She's like 35, just died in his bed overnight. And she's like, you, you, got, you got to call her. You got to call her right away. It's a terrible thing, right? And we, we all know you're a pastor and you need to call her. And I'm like, okay. You know, so I call her. And uh, long and the short of it was, I ended up meeting with the family. They asked me to do the, the funeral service. They said, you know, we, we don't go to church. We've never even been to church. We don't even know what you do and how you do this. And the Lord just through that situation gave me an opportunity. And as we sat and talked, I I just said, look, um, you know, I'm a minister of the gospel and uh, I'm going to preach the good news of the love of Jesus Christ. And I I, I shared it with them right there. And, you know, they were just kind of like, yeah, that's that's nice. And I said, look, uh, I'm not going to compromise. When I do a wedding or a funeral, I always share the gospel. So, um, hope you don't have a problem with that because if you do we'll have to go another route and they're like no 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 we we want you to you know do it and and all that and so a few days later I'm at a funeral home down in Massachusetts doing this funeral and as I took up to the podium this room was packed I don't know how many people you know at least a hundred maybe more but and, and I looked around and you know none of these people knew the Lord 
And so there in a moment, you know, just through relationships, God had opened a door to be salt and to be light. It was a unique thing, and, you know, I, I shared the gospel and, you know, did my best to bring the comfort of the Lord to, to those people. And, you know, it, it was interesting afterwards, a lot of the, the Starbucks uh, people were there, and they came up to me afterwards, and they were giving me hugs, and they were like, wow, that was so amazing. This is obviously what you were meant to do and, and all of that. But you, you try to talk to them further from that point about the Lord, and they didn't really want to hear it. But seeds were planted, and it's never a wasted opportunity. You see, we are sowing seed, aren't we, in, in the field of the world. And the seed is the word of God, Jesus is going to tell us in Matthew 13. So being salt and being light is being a witness for Christ. In fact, we come to verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. So if you think about it, I don't know if you've ever seen a city that's literally sitting on top of a hill. During the day, maybe it's not that visible, but at night it's totally visible, right? Because all of the lights in that city are on, and that can't be hidden. The people in the surrounding valleys... They see that city setting on the hill. Why? Because of the light. So Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Now he's saying, you are the light of the world. Now understand, he's not saying you're supposed to be. He's saying you are. So we need to deal with that, don't we? You see, today, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you say, I've come to him and I've received forgiveness of my sins and the blood of Christ has covered me and I'm just so grateful, you know, and I know the Lord, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm, you know, endeavoring to walk with him. If that's the case in your life today, then you are salt. You are light. What kind of salt, what kind of light are we? In Zechariah's prophecy um, in Luke chapter 1, when John was, you know, foretold of who he would be and Zechariah had rejected uh, that, that idea initially. He didn't believe, and then he was silenced for nine months. And now they've brought John into the temple to, to dedicate him. His tongue was loosed, and he was speaking. So in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 78, we have where Zechariah, says, excuse me, Zechariah is speaking. And he says, Through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring, speaking of Jesus, capital D, from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. You see, Zechariah knew in that moment that his son, John, the little baby they were holding in their arms, was to be the one to prepare the way and to essentially to shine the light on Jesus so that Jesus could come and to give light to those who sit in darkness. You see, light speaks of is something that opposes darkness. Light, there's, no, you know, there's light and there's darkness. There aren't degrees. You know, I find as I get older, I need more light. My wife and I, we're constantly, you know, I was just talking to Ken recently. I'm like, dude, you got to come back to my house and do some work. I need some, some can lights put in. Our house is so dark. We want light. Light dispels the darkness. And there's not just the physical darkness, but there's the spiritual darkness the spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly places. Later, when the Lord Jesus had been born in, in Luke chapter 2, that man, Simeon, who had been in the, the temple waiting to see the, the Lord, 
He said, Luke chapter 2, verse 30, For my eyes have seen your salvation, Lord, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. John the Apostle said in his gospel, John chapter 1, beginning in verse 4, In him, that is in Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He, John, was not that light, capital L, but was sent to bear witness of that light, speaking of Jesus. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. You see, if you try to look at the sun and the sky, you can't do that, right? You would go blind after really only a few seconds if you tried to stare at the sun. But the moon reflects the light of the sun, doesn't it? Jesus is like the sun, and you and I are like the moon. We reflect the light of the sun. How do we reflect the light of the sun? We have to be close to the sun. We have to receive the light from the sun. We have to know Jesus. We have to walk with him. In John 15, that classic, wonderful, beautiful chapter where he talks about abiding in Christ. The word abide simply means to remain or to stay close. And that whole passage about abiding in Christ, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. We abide in Christ. You see, that's how we gain the light. You know, Moses, there's that beautiful picture of him as he was up on the mountain receiving the fellowship of the Lord, and then ultimately receiving the Ten Commandments, receiving God's law. When he came down, it said his face shone so brightly that he had to wear a veil over his his face because the people couldn't even look at him. And that is a lifelike illustration for you and I. As we are in the presence of the Lord, hopefully on a regular basis, hopefully daily or at least with some regularity, We are sitting before the Lord and reading his word and praying. And you see, even if we don't understand it, we need to be there, right? We need to be in the presence of the Lord. We need to let him minister to us. We need to let him fill us up. And this morning in that psalm, Pastor Mitch emphasized that in your light, we see light. You see, when we sit before the Lord, he shows us the truth. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Jesus said in John chapter 8, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. He's going to say a little later in the, in, in the, uh, excuse me, the Sermon on the Mount, he's going to talk about our eye and what we allow into our eye. And he says, if your, your eye is filled with light, then your whole body has light. But if your eye is filled with darkness then you have darkness in your life. Then Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 35, a little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. 
You see, if we know Jesus, and we are his sons and his daughters, we are salt. We are light. Are we like that flashlight whose batteries are almost dead and there's only a little beam of light coming out? Or is the light of the Son of God, is it strong and bright in our lives? It says in verse 15, Matthew chapter 5, Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, then it gives light to all who are in the house. You see, no one turns on a light and says, Oh, I don't want you people to see the light, so I'm going to put up a curtain here. I'm going to put a basket over the lamp so that you can't have the light. I just want the light to go this way. I don't want the light to go that way. Sounds kind of dumb, right? They don't light a lamp and put it under a basket. You see, in that day, there were little tiny oil lamps. And if someone lit that lamp, they wouldn't put it down low. They would set it up at an appropriate height so that light could go out through the whole house. If you've ever been through a a power outage and you go get your old, we used to call them hurricane lamps, oil lamps with the glass globe and you light it and, you know, the wick and you get the smoke and all that. But, you you know, you don't know how long the power is going to be out. So you have two or three of those. You set them out and you're like, I want to set them in such a place so the light will permeate the house. You see, that's an idea. That's that's the way it's supposed to be for us. You and I are not supposed to hide our light. We aren't to to do anything to keep the light from shining. Now, why would Jesus say this? I think he said it because he knows that there's this human tendency we have to hold back. And we we hold back, we cover up our light. And he said, no, don't don't do that. Don't, Don't cover your light. Put your light on a lampstand so that it may give light to all who are in the house. Paul said in Romans chapter 1, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, Romans 1.16. For it is the salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Don't light your lamp and put it under a basket. Put it on a lampstand, that your light may give light to all who are around. Verse 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus says the salt and the light should be evident for all to see. And he says the ultimate goal is what? That they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I think that's implying that the good works that we do are of such a quality that people can't look at us and say, well, they obviously are a good person because they do good things. You see, the quality of our works should point back to the Lord. It's not something that we're trying to do. Just like we don't grunt to bear fruit, by being in Christ and by abiding in Him, fruit is born in our lives. And if we know the Lord, then fruit is coming forth from our lives. What is that fruit? What is that light? What is that salt? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, and I'm gonna, I was just going to read the one verse, but the verse before it really kind of gives us a context. Philippians 2.14, do all things without complaining and disputing. I want, to, I want that to sink in because we all do this, right? 
I don't like masks. I don't like COVID. I don't like the government. I don't like the election. And we can complain and grumble. Now I'm going to read this again. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. I think it comes back to that speech thing again. It comes back to the attitude that we exhibit. And he says, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run or labored in vain. You see, we are to shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation. That's a statement of fact. Every generation that we live in as the people of God is a crooked and a perverse generation. But he says we are to live as lights among that crooked and that perverse generation. Now, you may read this verse here in Matthew 5, 16 and say, okay, Jesus says, let your light shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Didn't he say somewhere else that he didn't want us to do our works to be seen by men? Matthew 6, 1, we're going to get to it. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven, Matthew 6, 5. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Well, what is it, Jesus? Do you want us to do our things, our, our deeds to be seen by men? Or do you not want us to do our deeds to be seen by men? What is it? Which is it? Well, in Matthew 6, he's dealing with people who do it for vain reasons. For prideful reasons. Because I want to be seen by men. I want people to say to me, oh man, you're such a good Christian. I wish I was like you. No, that's not what he's looking for. Because you see, the scribes and the Pharisees did that, didn't they? They were very elaborate and ostentatious in the way they did things. When they would go and give, they would stand back from from the, the treasury, which had like an old-fashioned horn on it, and, and rather than just dropping their money in because it was like brass and it would make this loud noise, they would stand back and go, cling, ching, ping, and people would look, and they were doing it so that people would look and say, wow, he's giving. They come up with a handful of change, right? Maybe they had a, you know, a, a bag of pennies, and we think, man, they're giving a lot. Actually, they just gave 100 pennies, man. But they would do it in such a way that people would look at them. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's like, no, no, no. You're going to get your reward from your Father in heaven. That's not the kind of things he's talking about. He's talking about the way we live our lives. That we're not ashamed of Christ. That the salt and the light in our lives that comes forth to others, it's a quality. It's, it's testifying of Jesus. You see, going and throwing a bunch of money in the offering for all to see and hear, doing things in such a way that people will notice and pay you a compliment, that, that's not bringing honor to God. What brings honor to God is our heart's desire to bring honor to God. Look, man, I don't want people to look at me. I want them to see Christ. It's like John said at the end of his ministry. He said, John the, the Baptist, he said, I must decrease and he must increase. That's the attitude. That's the salt and the light that Jesus is talking about here. One commentator said, I don't know who who said this. I, I got this from somewhere. It didn't give an attribution. He said, 
the sanctuary in our churches can be like a salt shaker. You can come in here each week and have fellowship with other salt and think your job has been accomplished because we've just had a salt gathering. We've had a light gathering. But God wants us to pick up the sanctuary and salt it all over the city, all over the countryside. Salt will never be salt until it's shaken out onto the world. Let us work while it is still called today. Our influence will last until the Lord says our time is up. Now that could be when he calls us to go home with him, or it could be at that time when he takes the church out of the world. Now, there are passages in the book of Romans, uh, Romans 9, 10, and 11, that uses this phrase talking about till the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled, meaning until the time when the church uh, is no longer to be in the world having an influence, but Jesus is clear as he introduces here in the Sermon on the Mount that his people, the church, we are, we are saved and, and put here to have an influence. In Second Thessalonians chapter 2, we come to a point where Paul is talking about a time when the church will be taken out of the way. I want to read this to you. If you want to write this down or turn there, you're welcome to. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day, meaning the day of the Lord, will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. So he's talking about the revealing of the person who would be the Antichrist leading up to the time of the tribulation. Second uh, Thessalonians 2, 4, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God, referring to the abomination of desolation that happens in the middle of the time of the tribulation. And then he says in verse 5, Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Verse 6, And now you know what is restraining. What is he talking about there? We believe he's talking about the work of the Holy Spirit in the world through the church. I'll read it again. And now you know what is restraining, that he, meaning the Antichrist, may be revealed in his own time. He's telling us that God the Father is working through the church and the person and work of the Holy Spirit in and through our lives, a.k.a. salt and light, until the time when God decides I'm taking the church out of the world through the rapture of the church. Let me continue to read verse 7, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he, capital H, meaning God, only he who now restrains will do so until he, capital H, referring to the Holy Spirit, is taken out of the way. Then the lawless one will be revealed. So you see, we have influence until either God takes us home to be with him and our life is over, or he calls us to be home with him as a church. But until that day comes, we are to occupy until he comes, he tells us in Matthew's gospel. We are to be salt and light. He has placed us here in society as his ambassadors, he says later in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and 5, we are ambassadors for Christ, entreating the world, imploring the world. And how do we do that? By just being salt, by just being light. 
He's not saying you have to be a seminary graduate or a Bible college graduate or an apologetics expert. He's just saying, let the love of God flood your life and be who you are because of who he is in you. See, it's not complicated. You are salt. I am light because of his presence in my life. See, Jesus isn't laying a heavy trip on them. He's not saying you people aren't doing good enough. He's saying, no, no, because you're my sons and daughters, because I love you, because I've given you of my Holy Spirit, you're my people. Be who I've called you to be. Allow the love of God. Allow the Holy Spirit, allow the Word of God to have His perfect influence in my life. And as I go out and I interact with the world and I go to the supermarket and I go to the, you know, the pharmacy and, and I'm in line and I have to do the social distancing thing and I have to wear the mask and all those things that I don't like to do, what kind of a witness am I bringing? Am I salt and light? Am I allowing the glory of God to shine through my life? Or am I bitter and complaining and negative and this is stupid and I don't want to do this and you know, this is dumb and this is the violating my rights. My constitutional rights are being violated. What about your God-given right to be his witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth? What about being a reflection of the glory of the Son? What about being a signpost pointing other lost sinners, just like God was gracious and saved me and saved you, pointing them to the Savior? See, that's the main thing. My rights don't matter. Except that the right to become the Son of God to, through, through faith in Christ, that's the only right that matters. That's the only right that matters to the lost and the dying world around us. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Allow Jesus, allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through your lives. Don't try harder to be something or do something. Just be his son, be his daughter. Let him love you. Let him fill you up. You know, if you think, as we close this morning, think about that illustration, a cup sitting on a table. Somebody's pouring water into it. And we normally stop it at some point, you know, well below the rim and just say, okay, that's enough. But you see, that's not the way the Lord works. He just keeps pouring until there's an overflow. And the outflow of the overflow is the salt and the light. I'll close by reading John chapter 7, two verses to you. On the last day... The great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, who had not yet come. The Spirit has come. We want to be a river, a fountain of living water to the world around us. And in so doing, we will be salt and light. Lord, we love you this morning. We bless you. We thank you for being here with us. We thank you for your word. Lord, you are calling us higher. As your sons and daughters, you call us to a different quality, a different standard of life. 
And Lord, I know as we have sat here this morning and listened to your word that there's probably the recognition on all of our parts, mine included, Lord, that that's not where we are. At least that's not how we feel. And so, Lord, this morning, just fill us up. Fill us up, Lord, with your love, with your grace, with your mercy. You've already told us how blessed we are. May we receive that blessing. May we allow the blessing of God to overflow our lives to the world around us. Lord, we don't have to be overwhelmed with having to be a witness. It's like you said, we are salt, we are light, we are a witness. Lord, work naturally through our lives to be a a witness to the world around us. And Lord, we say this morning we love you and we need you and we want you to have your way in us. We surrender, Lord. May our lives be like a cup that is overflowing and that living water is pouring forth to the world around us. May the spillage from our lives be sloppy and may it be generous in these last days until you return. May we take as many people with us to the throne of heaven as is possible. And Lord, not humanly possible, but possible through the work of the Holy Spirit. Lord, do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think by your power which works within us. Paul said, it is he, it is the Lord, it is God who works to, do, to accomplish the will within us. Lord, work within us to accomplish your purposes. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.